You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, January 28th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake and I'm here with Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. And Jim, we made it through what is a volatile week, but we've got action like right into the close. Yeah, the, the S&P turned positive on the week. It is up 2.4%, about 105 points or so. Um, but it's just marginally positive on the week. So I guess the history books will show that this week, not a whole lot happened because we didn't change much from Friday to Friday. Which is funny because for everybody sitting in it, they're saying, thank God it's Friday, like, you know, rushing for some sort of relief. It, it, we have been all over the place. And and this is this is rising really rapidly into the close. But as everyone knows, we've been up, we've been down, we've, seen, we've been seeing assets across different uh, classes moving. Tell me, sort of how you're feeling about this week. I mean, headline, nothing changed, but there's a whole lot going on. What do you make of it sort of sitting here reflecting back right now? Yeah, so it was an extraordinarily volatile week. And what's most interesting about this week is that a lot of the volatility came during the NICE, the New York Stock Exchange session. Not a lot of it came overnight. <clears throat> and it suggests that we've actually got human beings maybe back making some decisions in the market. I know it's just not all a bunch of algos just banging things around all the time. And really, I think the decision it all revolved around the, uh, the Fed meeting on Wednesday. And coming out of the Fed meeting, there is a difficult question that we need to ask. What is the priority of the Fed? Is the priority of the Fed to rein in inflation? Or is the priority of the Fed to make sure that growth is maintained by not upsetting the financial markets. Now, I happen to think that their priority is now reigning in inflation. The president has told them that that's their priority. He went on TV, the president did, last week and said, we have inflation and this is what I, President Biden, are going to do about it. Jay Powell's going to fix it. And that's basically what he said last week. So I think that their priority is inflation. If they have to raise rates a lot if they have to do a lot of QE. If the stock market winds up having another week like last week when it was down 5%, so be it. So be it. The Fed put, the strike price in the Fed put, I think is way lower than people think. Now, that opinion is not held by a lot of people. There are a number of people that say, no, the Fed would never do that. No, they won't risk it. There's too much debt. It would be too destabilizing for the mm -hmm. economy. They will rush to the rescue, buy stocks. And what we've seen all week is not a lot of inflows. And in the case of like the S&P ETF, huge inflow, not a lot of outflows, huge inflows in the last day or two. So people are not thinking that the Fed's ready to go five times, do QE, going to really slam hard on the economy to try and rein in inflation. And if stocks fall a lot, stocks fall a lot, they're not buying it. So this is the debate that we're going to have to have for the next several weeks, how much pain will the stock market have to endure before we find the strike price on the Fed put? 
and, and how much, you know, what does that look like? Because it feels like everyone's pricing in everything right now. And this relates to, the, to a question. Let's get right to the questions because they're great. They're coming in. Put them in uh, if you'd like. And we'll try to get as many to Jim as possible. But Sasha from RV, the RV site asking, is it possible the Fed tightening and rate hikes are already priced in and we could see some upside um, in legacy and digital assets in February and March? If the Fed is on a tightening cycle, I want to put the, the reducing the, the balance sheet to the side for just a second. It's important. But if they are in a tightening cycle and they do it methodically and orderly and are reacting to the economic data, you know, can can the economy and the stock market not withstand that? And what's priced in already, Jim? Well, let's let's break this down into who's priced in what. <laughs> there are short-term debt traders, people that trade Fed fund futures, euro dollars, repo, treasury bills. That segment of the market has priced in five rate hikes for this year, two more for the first half of next year, for a total of seven. Now, those players, and that's what you see in the Fed fund futures. There's long-term debt traders, people who trade the 10-year and the 30-year bond. There's equity traders. Equity traders, if you ask them, five rate hikes this year? No, no way, no way, absolutely not. The big surprise is going to be that the Fed's going to move less than what the market's priced in. They've been saying that since there was no rate hikes priced in four months ago or so. So when you ask, this is an unusual situation. And the unusual situation is what is priced in is not the consensus. That's almost never the case. I'll give you a great example. Mm -hmm. B of A's chief economist, Ethan Harris, came out today and said the Fed's going to raise rates seven times once for every meeting this year. He was roundly ridiculed and mocked. There is no way the Fed is going to do seven rate hikes this year. That's seven rate hikes in 12 months. The market's priced in seven rate hikes in 17 months. He's actually not that far away from the market. But for most people, that sounds like such a gigantic amount of moves. But that's actually what's been priced in. So we've got this conflict. Here's what's priced in. And then everybody says that's not what's going to be. And then we've got other people saying, oh, it's all priced in. So we really are in a right. Is it priced confusion. in confusion. Just to clarify, is it priced into the short-term bond market and not the equity market? Is it priced into both? What are you saying is priced in? It's priced into the short-term bond market. It's somewhat priced into long-term bonds, and I don't think it's priced in at all to equities. Let me give you one other statistic. Bank of America, again, does a fund manager survey. It came out 10 days ago, 10 days ago. 397 fund managers were asked, how many rate hikes will we see in 2022? There was an option of four or more. Of the 397, zero said that we'd see four or more. That's what short-term debt traders have priced in, five rate hikes. Zero hmm. of the 397 fund managers, not, very few of them, if any of them, were short-term debt traders. They're all equity traders, mainly in fixed in, long-term fixed income traders. So there is this disconnect. Uh, that's the, the main, main, Normally, in normal times, whatever's priced in, that's kind of the consensus. But right now, what the short-term debt traders are pricing in is not what everybody else thinks. And that's very difficult to get your head around that the market pricing yeah. is not consensus. And it's tough because it doesn't happen that often. And, and it's such an important point. So I want to stay on this for a moment. And I see your questions coming in. I'm going to get to as many as I can. Um, you retweeted something today on Twitter from Jerry and Timmer. Um, 
that that sort of drives home, I think, what you're talking about. At some point, the Fed may have to choose between recession and structural inflation. I agree. What and happens? That's re- yeah, that's that's the that's the issue right now because <clears throat> there is no magic policy that reduces inflation without reducing this the growth of the economy. That is the point of raising rates, is to lean on the economy and slow it down, hurt earnings in order to bring down demand that would bring down prices. So you've got to pick one or the other. Now, what's different is from 2008 to 2020, we never had inflation. So the Fed could turn on the money printer and just go bananas and the stock market could go up. And then they could look at the inflation numbers and go, hey, there's no other side to this uh, policy. There is now another side to the policy. And let me put this in in political terms. Last week, CBS YouGov had a poll out, and it's like a lot of other polls. 65% of the American public said the government is not doing enough about inflation. 7% said they're doing too much. Now, I would argue to you, first of all, that the 7% is probably those 397 fund managers from the B of A survey are all in the 7%. But if you're looking at this from a political standpoint, I want to make 65% happy. And if I have to make 7% unhappy, so be it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that the political calculus, which is why the president said, Jay will fix it, is going to be, we have to make the majority happy by bringing down prices. If a bunch of rich people have a crappy year because the stock market falls 20 or 25%, that's on them. That's your problem. But we got we to gotta get reelected or at least stop the bleeding if you believe that there's going to be a wave election anyway. In November, we have to address inflation. This is the push-pull that, that we've got to kind of consider as we move forward. Yeah, and to be fair, on the lower income, you know, stratus, uh, they're the ones who are feeling the prices, the food prices, the gas prices, and they don't have the extra income necessarily to absorb it. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. So we have a question from Achilles on the exchange. Uh, so we know, we know that tech stocks have been hurt with the prospect of this rising rate. Everyone talks about tech being overvalued. But what are your thoughts on non-growth companies with crazy PEs like uh, Costco? I think he's talking 42, Walmart, 48. What, what about other old school companies? Do you expect a multiple contraction in these areas as well? Well, what you're basically asking is about the giant run up in value stocks. You know, uh, value stocks would be the stocks that have the lower end of the valuations metric. And by some metrics, I know there's one more day left in January. Value stock outperformance over growth stocks might be an all-time record in January, just to how much they've just thoroughly beat what's been happening. If you want a simple way of looking at it, look at what the Dow's performance is versus the uh, the, the Nasdaq 100. Gigantic outperformance, <coughs> excuse me, by the Dow over over the Nasdaq 100. 
So I, I suspect, first of all, let's remember what happened coming into this period, this period being the last few months. Growth stocks had beaten value stocks by the biggest margin ever in the last several years. Everybody was just all in on growth stocks, and now we're seeing the snapback in the other way. So if you're looking at a Costco, if you're looking at Walmart, if you're looking at beaten down growth stocks, that no growth stocks that have high valuations, I think that tidal wave of money moving towards value, especially in an inflationary environment, because you would argue that those stocks tend to be more inflation beneficiary types, I think is going to continue. And uh, that, that's going to be the, the, the tidal wave movement is away from growth and towards value. It's just getting started. It's not overdone just yet. Interesting. So, and we had, so we had, we had some data coming out today, uh, uh, PCE, personal consumption expenditures, which is, we know, a preferred inflation gauge of the Fed, 4.9%, up 4.9% from a year ago. The employment cost index was out, consumer spending out. What are you expecting in terms of inflation and growth? There are some, uh, Jim, who we've talked to who say, listen, yes, the numbers are hot, but it's peaking. It's kind of come down both on the inflation front and on the growth front. They think growth is going to slow. Where do you fall in this camp? Well, let me just uh, let me say this. Um, the most irrelevant thing you could say right now is that the inflation numbers are going to peak in the next few months and start coming down. Yes, 100 percent of us should know that they are going to start peak. They're going to probably peak in April or May. If they don't, we're in deep trouble because what happens in April or May is April and May of 2021, you put up 0.6.8 for the inflation numbers. Well, we'd have to put up 0.6.8 April of May of 2022 just to keep the overall year over year numbers at the same levels. So yes, they're going to peak. And yes, they're going to start down in the second half of the year. And yes, that doesn't mean anything. What means something is how fast are they going to come down? And that's really what the debate should be about, not if they're going to peak. And by all indications, if you look at housing, if you look at the tightness in the energy market, if you look at the supply chain, I've been on these um, daily briefings now for several months, and I'll say it again today, what I've been saying for since October, the worst day of the supply chain crisis is today, and probably the new record will be set tomorrow. But if you listen to Wall Street, the supply chain crisis peaked in April of last year, and it's been getting better. No, it's not. It's been progressively getting worse. There's another gigantic disconnect. If you read the trade publications like Freight Waves and American Shipper that, that have been dead ass right about the supply chains, they are telling you there is no improvement whatsoever in it. Wall Street keeps telling you, here's the five stocks to buy now that the supply chain's getting better. There, it isn't getting better. Uh, and Jay Powell, by the way, came out on Wednesday in the presser and admitted it's not getting better. That's going to lead to higher prices, too. So, yes, we're going to get a peak in April or May. But then the question is, are we going to be at two and a half percent at the end of the year or are we going to be at four or five? And I would probably lean more towards four or five. Four or five ain't going to cut it. That's five rate hikes. If we're going to end the year with four or five percent inflation, even though we'll peak at like seven point three in April and, and then to, to decelerate to four or five, you still need five rate hikes and you still need QE. If you're going to make the case to me that we're going to go all the way back to two and a half by the end of the year, then we could talk about maybe two or three rate hikes and stop. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's the debate. Yes, we know it's going to peak, but how fast is it going to come down? And given energy, given that housing numbers are going to keep going up and given the supply chain's not better, it's going to keep upward pressure so that that descent is going to be 
a lot slower than people think. That's my guess. Jim, I love, and this is why we love having you on, I love that you do the deep dive into this sort of data and, and parts of uh, the market uh, and the economy that people aren't paying attention to. Of course, those people, you know, that's their business. They have to know what's going on in that space. So thank you so much for, for giving us that tidbit. Just want to let everybody know, we're. I, I'm feeling good, we're going strong, but the volatile week extends to technology. So. We had a little shaky business with the shot so far, Jim. We seem good. I'm working remote because we were at the iConnections conference in Miami. So far, so good. Weston's not going to join us today, uh, but you know Weston on Trading is going to be covering all this, in, in, including um, some incredible action that was happening in Asia that really kind of got buried by the news this week. Jim, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's, what's been happening in Asia, but we saw big moves. There's a lot going on with China. Uh, continuing to try to engineer that soft landing around that property bubble. Um, are you watching anything in that space? Yeah, so there's a lot going on there. And, you know, and I might even say that it feeds off of my last comment about the supply chain. Um, a week from today is the opening ceremonies for the Winter Olympics. And what's been happening in China is a lot of athletes are coming from not China, and the numbers of cases in the Beijing area are going up. And China's got zero COVID policy, right? Three people get sick, 10 million people are locked in their house for two weeks. Uh, and uh, so that's what you've been seeing happen quite a bit. And you've got um, the Lunar New Year coming. So there's going to be a real slowdown coming in China. And interestingly, and I don't know what to make of this, but I'll just throw it out there. Uh, Chairman Xi went um, and addressed the World Economic Forum, and he said he doesn't want the U.S. to raise rates. Now, on one hand, you could see why he doesn't want the U.S. to raise rates, you know, because if we raise rates, they have to respond by raising rates, and that puts a damper on their economy as well, too. But can he really be trusted to tell us what is in everybody's best interest or even in his own best interest as well? But for the moment, I'll take him at his word. His economy is really, you know, kind of iffy. And the last thing he needs to do is see his interest rates be forced higher because the U.S. pushes up as well. Lastly, the other thing I've been watching in, in Asia as well, too, Omicron is surging in a lot of countries in Asia, not China, Asia, and in India um, for that fact as well. Again, it, it, this is not a health argument. This is an economic argument. What happens when you test positive? You're sent home. You're told that you got to sit at home, quarantine for several days, maybe get another test negative before you go back to work. Absenteeism is really high production drags. And Asia is the beginning of the supply chain. And you're seeing this left and right all over the place. So the supply chain is going to probably see a little bit more drag coming out of Asia. Jose uh, from the RV site is asking, what's your view for the dollar? Can the Fed tighten as much with a rising dollar? Um, the dollar doesn't matter. What matters, let me, let, me, let me be as clear as I can about this. What matters for the Fed is the, the domestic political situation. If the dollar goes up too much and a bunch of dollar traders lose money, tough is basically where we're at. This is new. We've never had inflation before. Yes, the Fed can continue to raise rates if the dollar goes higher, because that's not the priority anymore. Financial conditions are of secondary importance, is my take. Primary importance is to get that 40%, 40% of the country 
has less than $1,000 of savings, and they're very, very mad about in inflation. Inflation is the number one issue in the country. It is ahead of COVID. It is ahead of immigration. It is ahead of crime. It is ahead of Russia. Uh, it is ahead of climate change. They want it down. And if a bunch of over-levered people on the Real Vision boards are upset about the dollar, too bad. That's kind of the environment we're in right now. That's my take on it. I'm just saying it's uh, strongly to get my point across, but you get my point. We've not right. had inflation in 40 years. We have not had to consider that there was another priority other than financial conditions. Now there is. No, I love it, Jim. And, and you know, uh, you know I, I think we, we all understand what you're saying, but it's I think it's been so long that even when people wrap their head around it, we're kind of knee-jerking back to what we're used to, right? And the sort of cycle that we've all been used to living in. Uh, Mark, I think that answered your question about what, uh, how, what impact will the November elections or midterms have on the Fed's propensity to hike. We've covered that. Let's go to a question from uh, to Mulligan, I think it is. Um, and he's asking, or she's asking, you're asking on YouTube, does it need to be priced in or can they choose few cryptos and utilize them to offset loans, bonds, notes? And drain. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm not even sure. Try to try to go back and rephrase that a little bit more clearly because I'm not quite sure what you're saying. But Mark from the RV site wants to say, wants to ask, how much impact? Or sorry, Nate. Sorry, jumping all over here. Nate from YouTube. What does Jim think about high yield debt? We haven't really high seen spreads blow out, right? They've yes. been kind of behaving a little better than we thought. Yeah, high yield debt is you know investment grade debt and high yield debt. Their spreads have widened. They have widened. They're at yearly wides, but they're not necessarily, you know, it, it, as stressed as the stock market is stressed. Um, so a lot of people have said, well, the true financial conditions is includes the credit markets. And the Fed looks at the financial conditions indexes with the credit markets and they go, eh, it's just a bunch of whiny stock traders about what's happened in the last few weeks. Screw them. We're fine. And there might be some truth to that. But what I think has really changed with the credit markets is that the Fed stepped in in 2020 uh, and, and saved them. They created facilities to buy high-yield high ETFs and to buy investment-grade corporate bonds. They bought them directly. And because of that, there's this belief that there is this newfound backstop for those markets that didn't exist before. Jay will buy the bonds directly off of you, not just print money around you, hoping it will lift you as well, too. So I think that the credit markets are, to some extent, a little bit uh, not as concerned. And secondly, we have very high nominal growth right now. Look, 6.9% on the GDP number yesterday. Yeah, a lot of that was inventories, but the economy is growing fast. And that's probably why we have an inflation problem which means that debt service is easy. So when these bond traders, these corporate bond traders, high yield or investment grade, look around and go, is this company in trouble uh, financially? No, money's flowing in the door. Now, maybe in two or three quarters that changes, but it's not the case now. And the Fed knows how to buy my bonds when they go down. And so I, yes, you've been seeing widening of spreads, but you haven't seen anything that is is headline grabbing is what you've seen in the stock. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We have a question from Bonnie on the RV site, and I love this question which will have a greater effect on moving inflation down, supply side or demand side? You know, that is a good question because most economists, when you ask them, <clears throat> why is inflation going up? It's one or the other. It's supply or demand. And you see a lot of this say on financial Twitter. Uh, it's all supply. No, it's actually what's different now about this cycle is it's both supply and demand. Yes, we have a demand, a supply problem, you know, that the, the ports aren't moving, the supply chain isn't moving. You've probably, I've seen, you know, spots in the shelves that are empty when you go shopping as well, too. But we've also got a demand issue as well. We printed a lot of money and we shoved a lot of money into the system and stuffed people full of money and they're spending it and they're spending it right now. And so um, I think it's a little bit of both. What raising rates could do is soften demand and softening demand can definitely um, help on the inflation side. And to that end, let me go back to another thing that Jay said on Wednesday. He said that he believes that they could raise, because the unemployment rate's back under 4%, the jolts, the job labor, uh, job openings, labor turnover report shows that there's like 4 million more jobs than unemployed people in the United States. He said, we could probably raise rates a lot before we hurt the labor market. And that's when the bottom fell out of the market during his press conference, because that was a signal of, yeah, we could go five or six times and we're not going to hurt the labor market because it's so strong right now. And because it's so strong, that's why I think that raising rates to, to, to cool demand is not being viewed from an economic standpoint as being so catastrophic, hopefully get inflation down. But from a financial market standpoint, it is a worry that the money printer and all of the cheap money is being taken away and markets have to adjust to it. Yeah, what what happens? I mean, this is this is really what's going on. And this let's bring in reducing the balance sheet too. We haven't talked about that, but we have a potential situation where Fed's not just in a tightening mode, but they're gonna be taking away some of those extraordinary measures that they put in place to support the economy during the pandemic. What happens when the Fed takes the punch bowl away? So what happens is, the, the, you know, we use the phrase capital stack. And at the top of the capital stack is uh, sovereign bonds, the bonds that are issued by the, the Treasury. Then investment grade, high yield equities, lower rated equities, maybe cryptos are on the bottom of it. <clears throat> the top of the capital stack gets what it wants. It needs $200 billion of buyers a, a month. And the $200 billion of buyers a month has been coming until very recently from the Federal Reserve. They've been buying $120 billion a month to expand their balance sheet. They own $8.7 trillion worth of securities. About $100 billion a month matures. And they buy another $100 billion just to keep everything stable and then been adding. You go to Q So we're tapering that $120 billion. And next month, or actually in March, it goes to zero. So you've lost $120 billion of buyers, but you still have another $100 billion that they buy because of matured bonds, the belief is, is that that will go to zero too. 
And so that the balance sheet will now decrease by $100 billion. The market wants $220 billion of its bonds bought every month. And it's going to find those flows. It'll lower its price, raise its interest rate until it attracts enough people to give it a $200 billion buyer a month. And that is going to be a problem for markets that are now currently flow dependent. The stock market is flow dependent. The Tina, there is no alternative. Why would you buy bonds with no yields? And the bond market will turn there and say to you, okay, watch me put a yield on this thing by changing bond prices and putting up rates so that I suck money out of you because I need to be funded. And that's mm -hmm. going to be, why do you think we're moving four or 5% every day? Because that's the concern that we're having about this whole QT argument is that if we get there, who's going to buy those bonds? You are. How are you going to buy those bonds? Because they're going to put a big, fat, attractive interest rate on them, which means those prices are going to go down. Or maybe they don't have to. They just have to go down a little bit, and those buyers will emerge. But whatever it takes, to quote Mario Draghi, they will find that level that they would need to replace the Fed's buying with the private sector. Jim, uh, so where, where can people look for protection, or how should they be thinking about their portfolio? When we have... A question from Doug on the RV site, Jim, are there any commodities that have your attention? That seems to be what people have been thinking about in an inflationary environment. Does that still hold? What are your thoughts? Yeah, in an inflationary environment, I definitely think, you know, let's let's break it down two ways, right? Long-term holders, um, you know, if you're a hodler of stocks, if you're under the age of 40 and you're thinking about your portfolio through retirement, eh, just sit there because in 25 years, you'll be fine. If you're 70 and you're wondering what's going on, I've always liked to say that a bear market is time, it's not price. Yes, because everybody says, well, the market's going down, it's gonna have a 15%, 20% correction, it might be called a bear market, but they always come back. Yeah, but if I'm 70 years old, I, I don't wanna wait eight years for it to come back. If I'm 40 years old, I'm fine with waiting eight years. Uh, that's, they don't have to left the, the rest of my life expectancy just to get my net worth back to where it was last month. So if you're a longer term, I wouldn't worry about this. This is one of the cycles that we definitely go through. If you're more of a shorter term trader, yes. I think commodities and anything cyclical or anything like an industrial basic material type of stock that would probably do better in an inflationary environment will, will perform better. Now, all of those stocks tend to be value stocks. And we've seen, like I said, value is greatly outperformed growth. Um, I know that the way that this works is value underperforms growth every day for 15 years, has two good weeks, everybody says, that's it, it's oversold, it's done. No, it's just getting started in terms of potentially the turn towards value and towards inflation as opposed to growth. Yeah, it might be oversold very short term because of the huge month we've had, but, it's, but that turn from growth to value is just beginning. And in there, you're going to find a lot of inflation beneficiaries like basic materials, cyclicals, industrials, and even some commodities. Um, leading the charge on commodities right now is energy. Energy is definitely screaming ahead. I mean, the, uh, the S&P Energy Index up up 18% this month when everything's down like 9% uh, on top of everything else. So energy has definitely been a play. And I don't think that the energy play is necessarily over with uh, at this point it could continue to move forward from here. 
And what about what about cryptos, digital assets, Jim? Uh, you know, we know they've been trading in tandem with risk assets. We've covered this a lot here. It's not supposed to be how they act, but it is in this environment. But we saw even this week now also getting hit on concerns about regulation, you know, some rumors about this, um, you know, regulatory uh, directives that may be coming out of the White House. Um, but we've seen big, big declines. Where, where, what's your thought on that? And how should people approach that in this volatile environment? The correlation to the legacy markets, what's happened is, I, I know you've covered this, but it's worthy of saying it because, as I mentioned before, cryptos might be the end of the legacy market risk spectrum. You start with treasury bills, treasury bonds, high, investment grade, high yield equities, low rated equities, cryptos. Cryptos are like a, a, a levered, non-profitable tech position is what they wind up being. If that's the case, boy, if we turn the crypto market upside down, because what gets Bitcoin back to 70,000 might be that the inflation numbers are over, the transitory is right, inflation deflates, the Fed could turn on the printer again, the, it can go burr, and that'll push, crypto, that'll push Bitcoin to 70,000. Boy, talk about making a Bitcoin maxi's head explode, that they have to sit there and root for the Fed to turn on the money printer in order to get their coins back up. Uh, but that's what the that's what the correlations definitely suggest. And so I don't I agree that longer term that this won't be the case. That eventually you will find that they will decouple. They being cryptos will decouple from legacy markets and have their own cycle that's independent. But that is not the case right now. So really. You can buy ARK in a margin account, or you could buy Bitcoin, and you've kind of got the same thing, and it's going to stay that way, at least for the foreseeable future. Fantastic. Real quick, Jim, uh, you see more downside uh, in crypto, or we feel like we're bouncing on a floor here? I, you know, I see more downside in legacy markets, if you would put it that yeah. way, because I think, as we talked earlier, there's enough people that just are not ready to believe that the Fed is really going to raise rates five times, maybe more, do QE, and when the stock market wobbles, not ride to its rescue, not ride to its rescue. There's a lot of people that don't believe that that's going to happen. They believe the Fed will cave, will stop. And if the legacy markets are going to head lower, then I think it's just going to keep pressure on the cryptos because of that correlation until they break. So I'm a long-term hodler. I'm a long-term believer in the crypto story. I love it. I think it is transformational. But we're not in a, an immediate period right now where I think that they're imminently going to go if this correlation stays and if these markets wind up uh, staying correlated to each other. Oh, sure, there might be a, a reflex rebound next week or for the next week or two. But beyond that, um, I do think that the, you know we're going to have to come to grips with this idea that we have a serious inflation problem. The Fed is going to be committed to that. And if that means that they have to put the stock market under stress, they have to put the stock market under stress. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth going a few extra minutes today because this has been so great, uh, Jim. It's so great to get your view across all these assets because it has been so volatile and you know, people really trying to figure out what to do. So, you know, Tommy Thornton said it yesterday. These are really difficult markets, even for professionals like you guys. And so we appreciate you coming on and getting your expertise. And, you know, the thing I like is not only are we getting everyone's trading strategies and, and advice, uh, but your the years of your experience and knowledge and the psychology around that and how you can try to think about this volatility. And in some cases, 
we're even getting, you know, um, the, the sort of story of how everyone started out and, and what this about and what got them into this and the psychology around their trading. Um, and to that point, um, if you have some time over the weekend, everyone, I encourage you to check out uh, Mark Yusko sat down with Brian Estes, managing partner and CIO of Off the Chain Capital um, for exactly that kind of sort of, you know, talk with an expert. We're going to play a little clip for you right now. Our head law enforcement officer at that company, um, he was telling me that his best friend's daughter just got a job at Coinbase. And I was like, oh, can you make an introduction? <laughs> and um, so he introduced me to her dad. I was like, you know, I'd like to talk to your daughter. Um, Coinbase is a great company. You know, you know, can you introduce me? And so she calls me and she goes, um, you know, how can I help? I'm like, I know you don't have stock because you just got hired. But um, if you come across any of your you know, new friends at Coinbase, yeah. if they're interested in, you know, selling some of their stock, let me know. Like, I, you know, I, I want to buy Coinbase stock. Yeah. The very next day, I get an email from Olaf, the first employee at Incredible. Coinbase. And he's like, I hear you're looking for some equity. Um, I think I might be able to help you. And so he helped organize some of the employees who needed liquidity. Great stuff. And for, for those of you who aren't familiar, Brian is you know, um, a real thought leader uh, in the crypto space, um, years of experience um, funding a lot of companies and the billions. So really interesting to hear that story. And, um, you know, as we end on that crypto note, just a reminder, there's a big deadline tonight for Real Vision's pro crypto tier. You're going to want to check it out. That's bringing that kind of high level institutional type research that I think we really need in these volatile times. And I know a lot have been asking for. So you don't want to miss the deadline and get all the details on the pro crypto membership, including exactly what you get, where to get it. There's the uh, the place to go on the website, www.realvision.com backslash memberships backslash pro crypto. Um, and Jim, I mean, we all need advice on how to navigate these markets. You know, appreciate you going a little longer with us today as we close out um, and head into the weekend where everyone's going to kind of take a breath and kind of recalibrate and brace ourselves for next week. You know, what should we be thinking of? What's your advice? What needs to be top of mind for us? We have a 40-year high in inflation, and we haven't seen that unless you've, you know, in your 60s uh, professionally for a long time. And that has changed a lot of how relationships have uh, behaved in markets. Jay Powell himself said this is going to be a tightening cycle, not like others that we've seen. I think you've got to go back and look at the 70s or maybe the 60s in order to see where we're going. So keep in mind this is a different cycle. So when you hear these stories about, well, every time the Fed raises rates, market does well. Yeah, for the last 40 years, because they kept raising rates and inflation never materialized. So as I go through the weekend, just keep reminding yourself, something's different now, and it is inflation. It, this time is different is actually the case because we have a 40-year high in a number we haven't seen before that matters. Jim, we appreciate you so much. Thanks for that. Hope everyone enjoyed the conversation. I know I'm going to go away, take a breath, and think about that over the weekend. Um, but we're, as always, the conversation continues on the exchange. Keep dropping your questions and share information with each other there. Have a terrific weekend. We all earned it, right? Thanks, Jim. Thank you. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best 
brightest and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.